0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Okay, real talk, everybody. Puppies. This is the truth about them. And I don't have one right now, so I can be very honest. They're so hard. Okay, the truth about puppies is that they're really hard. They kind of suck. Like when you get a puppy, you're not always going to be having a great time. There's a couple of people that I'm friends with on social media who have puppies right now who are just in it. They're like eyeballs deep in how hard this is because here's the real real about puppies you will be sleep deprived and i don't know about you but when i'm sleep deprived i literally can't do anything nothing else is going to happen when i'm sleep deprived you will have regret like you are gonna think what was i thinking this was so dumb why did i think i could do this why did i think i could care for this little tiny creature you will have anxiety because you will be afraid that something will happen to the tiny creature because the tiny creature that you want to send back also really matters a lot to you and also seems really fragile and vulnerable. And so you will be scared that something will happen to them. You may experience depression. For me, that's a direct result of the sleep deprivation, but depression as kind of that chronic lack of positive reinforcement could be something that you go through because this is so difficult. But also, puppies don't exist on a timeline. Anybody who presents an imaginary timeline to you about by which point the dog should know XYZ or by which point the puppy should have had XYZ experiences None of that is real. The only timeline that matters is yours, and don't forget it. Perfect doesn't exist. It's a very seductive concept that is not real. So if you're chasing it, you'll always miss it. You'll always miss the mark. And you will also miss really cool, imperfect things that happen along the way. Anybody who appears to be doing a perfect job with their puppy on social media they're just not showing you the real stuff. They're just not showing you the fact that they got up at 3 a.m. to take the thing outside. They took it out of the crate. They put it on a leash. They're carrying it through the house. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then they step in the vomit of their old dog on the way outside. And everything falls apart in that moment um, because now they have vomit on the bottom of their foot and a puppy in their arms And what the hell are they supposed to do right then, right? Because this is real life. So perfect doesn't exist. And there's no timeline, which is, those are kind of the same thing. Like if you think there's a timeline, then you think that perfect exists. Neither of them do. Your feelings matter, not only the puppy's feelings. So sacrificing your mental well-being for the puppy having feelings about some stuff, not helpful. Couple of examples. I have a program for sale called Happy Crating. I try to teach crating in such a way that the antecedents are arranged so that the puppy learns to rest in the crate. I present the program, how it should be carried out. The reality is that as you carry out the program, there will be times when the puppy's kind of fussy in the crate. Kind of fussy in the crate is not ideal and also not a disaster, not detrimental to the rest of the work you've done. Panic in the crate we want to avoid. Fussy in the crate is real life, okay? So if you need to put the thing in the crate, And have it fuss a little bit before it falls asleep so that you can read a book or have a cup of tea great do that if the puppy doesn't like its equipment that you're putting on it find equipment that it can tolerate right perfect does not exist your feelings matter here's my advice take breaks like I said, the puppy can fuss in the crate for a second for you to read a book and have a cup of tea. That's okay. If the puppy will sleep in the car, this is like, you know, all moms who've raised an infant know this trick go for a drive. <laughs> Put the puppy in the car, go for a drive. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Maybe drive to a bookstore, leave the puppy in the car, weather permitting, and go in and get a book, you know, take a break. Along those lines, Of taking a break, ask for help. If you need some help to take a break, do it. Guaranteed you have friends who will take your puppy off your hands for an afternoon or maybe even a whole weekend. You know what else? Really, really good experience for your puppy to go be away from you and be somewhere else for a minute. Because at some point, you're going to need the puppy to be somewhere else for a minute. While you, I don't know, go on a vacation or have a medical procedure done, et cetera think big picture rather than right here, right now. And thinking big picture is about that, like avoiding perfection thing. So big picture, I want my dog to rest in the crate anytime he's in the crate, but right here, right now, he's going to be a little bit fussy because he's not totally ready to be in the crate and I need a nap. Big picture is that nine times out of 10 today, the puppy slept in the crate when I put him in. Big picture is this week, My puppy had several new experiences, but today my puppy's not going to have any new experiences because again, I need to take a nap, have a cup of tea, read a book. So really thinking big picture, understanding that again, there is no timeline, do not hold yourself to an imaginary ideal everything will come the way that it's supposed to come along. So again, think big picture. Your puppy has a freak out. Maybe you go to Home Depot and your puppy gets scared and he starts shaking or maybe he barks at something. Do not panic and think that your fate is sealed now. Take your puppy out to the car, get them a little bit settled, go back into Home Depot, get what you needed and leave. Call a trainer friend or call a professional. Say, hey, this happened. What do you think? Think big picture. So Whatever happened today does not undo what happened yesterday, the day before, et cetera, and does not undo what happens tomorrow and the next day. Think big picture. Here's one that other trainers aren't going to tell you. Take shortcuts where you can, okay? Because raising a puppy is really, really tough. So you don't have to do everything perfectly. Take shortcuts where your dog's temperament and individual personality, as well as your future needs, will allow you to take shortcuts, Here's a shortcut that I love. When my puppies come home to me, they typically get a harness put on them uh, pretty early on. And again, my line is panic. If they panic, truly panic about the harness, I'm not gonna make them wear it. But in general, my puppies get a harness put on and they kind of are maybe a little bit like, what what is this? And might fuss with it a little bit and roll and maybe scratch at it. Kind of like when you first put a bra on, right? Like it just doesn't feel great. And they wear the harness indefinitely. Like they wear it for months and I just adjust it on their body. And that way I can work on the putting on a harness cooperatively behavior without actually ever having to wrangle the puppy and put a harness on him because he's wearing it. They also, they habituate to the harness. My experience has been that 100% of the time. Now, Yes, there's going to be a puppy that proves me wrong about that. There's going to be a puppy that won't habituate and that puppy needs a different plan. Most puppies will habituate to it. So my favorite shortcut is that they just wear a harness all the time. So they get used to it really quickly and it's not a big deal. I have dogs that don't like wearing stuff that are perfectly comfortable wearing a harness because that was done when they were babies. Um, Let's see. Other shortcuts that I love would be meal time should do double duty for you and it doesn't need to be fancy let's say i'm feeding kibble take the puppy into the bathroom dump all the kibble on the floor that will take the puppy so much longer to eat than kibble in a bowl and so much longer to eat um and longer to eat than that it would have taken me like if i had stuffed all that kibble in a puzzle toy and given it to the puppy and then the puppy was like "Eh, i don't know I might eat part of this, right? And now I'm left with, I would like the puppy to eat its meal, et cetera. So other shortcuts I like are for my meals to do double duty. And they're going to do double duty for me if I think let's not spend all my time stuffing the toy, especially if I don't know the puppy's going to eat it. So dump the kibble on the floor. Or let's say you are feeding raw or something like that. Make it nice and soupy. Put the soup in one of those like labyrinth type bowls because all you got to do is pour it in, okay? And the puppy will lap it out and it will take them longer than it would if it was just in a bowl, but it doesn't take you any longer than if it's just in a bowl. And usually they're more apt to eat it that way if it is soupy than if it's solid. If your puppy won't yet consume food out of a puzzle toy because they're too young, then don't do it. You can still make it do double duty for you by spreading it out, like throw, the throwing the kibble on the floor trick, get a cookie sheet and spread your raw food on the cookie sheet. Now they've got to lick it off of that. That didn't take you any longer than it did to put it in a bowl, but it takes the puppy longer to eat. So make your food do double duty for you. And then other shortcuts are going to be, I'm going to make a really enriching, X-pen area for my puppy to be in. So it's not the crate. So I'm not as worried about the dog's behavior in the X-pen and I make it Disneyland so that the puppy can kind of entertain themselves. I hang toys so they can jump up and bite them. And I rotate things through and I don't worry too much about it. If they go in there and they're like, I don't want any of this stuff. I'm like, well, okay, but there is stuff in there for you and you're in there anyway. So Take your shortcuts, ask for help, think big picture, take breaks. Please take breaks. And know that the truth about puppies is they totally suck and they're really hard. They're also really adorable, really worthwhile, really rewarding if you allow yourself the grace that you deserve during this time. Okay, and now just a couple of Patreon questions. First one comes from Eve who writes, Thanks so much for being a valuable resource. You've completely revolutionized my relationship with my dogs. Eve, thank you so much for saying that. Eve continues. How do you teach your dogs to ignore wildlife? My decompression walks have been increasingly less decompressing for me as my one and a half year old mini American shepherd has learned that chasing deer is the best thing ever. It's been reinforced a handful of times. She can recall off dogs, people, birds, and occasionally rabbits and squirrels. I realize that's not the same as ignoring them altogether, which is the ultimate goal. Any tips on how to get there? So Eve, I do talk about this in various different episodes. I do think I talk about it in the recall episode, but I'm not totally positive. You have put yourself in a bit of a situation by allowing it to happen, because the way that I teach it is I don't allow it to happen. So if I allow my dog to chase wildlife, I'm now fighting a losing battle. Whereas if I never allow them to chase wildlife in the first place, I have a huge leg up. Your dog is only a year and a half old. I would say that it takes my dogs months and months and months of reinforcement history to ignore wildlife. And that's me doing it, knowing what I'm doing and knowing kind of exactly the steps to take, it still takes months and months and months. And then it requires like a lot of maintenance depending on the dog. So since you've allowed it to happen, your dog needs to be restricted so that she can't chase the wildlife for a period of time. I don't like that, neither do you, but a long line, something like that, that stops her from being able to do it is really, really important now. Especially as you kind of get into high wildlife times, don't just practice recalls off of stuff. Reinforce really heavily the choice not to engage the stuff in the first place. And if you don't have that behavior, if when you're on a walk, your dog sees something, a dog, a bunny, a person, and their choice is always going to be to approach it, never to never to check with you first, then you have missed a step there. You have recalled too much and, and not reinforced the choice not to disengage enough. So today I was on the beach with Rhea. and Rhea would like to approach every single person and especially every single dog on the beach. And she's off leash. She'd like to just be the greeter of the, off of the beach. She'd like to run up barking and say, hello, how are you guys today? Isn't the beach wonderful? That's what she would like to do with every single thing. She is about your dog's age. She's about uh, 17 months. And so for the last, let's see, I've had her since she was two months. (laughs) So the last 15 months, I've been working really, really hard on big fat reinforcer. Anytime you choose to disengage something in your environment. I do that when she's on leash. I do that when she's off. I do it all the time today. She made so many choices. I watched her make these choices. I watched her notice a person or a dog on the beach and choose to keep walking. She didn't necessarily come to me. She just noticed and chose to keep going. And I marked and she ran to me hearing the marker and I reinforced. And I had a very high value reinforcer for that. I had uh, rotisserie chicken in play for that. Whereas kibble is what was happening for pretty much everything else. I still do have that recall. So when her choice wasn't to disengage, I then was going to recall. But I was watching myself and making sure that I wasn't needing to recall her too frequently. I would have put her on a leash if I was needing to recall her frequently. So with your dog, you need number one management. Don't let it happen again. And then number two, put yourself in a situation where you're in a park or something where there's rabbits and squirrels and she's on a long line in a harness and you're reinforcing that choice to disengage. And if you don't have the choice to disengage, it's back to the drawing board to build that engagement with you, build her desire to connect with you and be with you. Best of luck, Eve. Next one comes from Izzy who writes, what are your thoughts on capturing calmness? Well, Izzy, my thoughts are that I might capture, might shape calm behavior in my dogs. There's a couple of things I don't do that maybe others might do. I tend not to use a marker signal there. I tend to just deliver food, usually right between my dog's front paws, in the the rear situations that I'm trying to capture calm behavior. So one of the situations I might do this in is in like a remedial socialization setup. And I've got two dogs that have done a parallel walk and now they're hanging out near each other. And if they lie down or yawn or something like that, I will feed right between their front feet. So I am attempting to kind of reinforce those behaviors with my food. I don't shape with a marker signal and food any kind of relaxation behavior. That's a choice that I make as a trainer. There are plenty of other trainers who do that just fine, but that's a choice that I make as a trainer. So hopefully I answered your question. If you have more questions on that, I encourage you to write some more um, in on the Patreon page. Next one comes from Lauren who writes, just wondering whether uh, what you would do if working with a dog with massive fear and anxiety issues who would really benefit from decompression walks, but is anxious in the car. Dog is on meds. I'm slowly working through her fear of the car, but at the moment she can't go on urban neighborhood walks. So her exercise is limited to training in my house and yard and enrichment activities. Should I still take her in the car for decompression walks, despite her fear being present while driving or wait until her car fear has subsided before doing decompression walks? So Lauren, it's A tough question for me to answer. I'm going to answer it the best that I can, but I don't know all the details of this case. It is very possible that if I did know the details of this case, I'd give you a different answer. But the answer that I'm going to give you based on what you just told me is that we want to make sure that the dog is on the right medications so that we're reducing that overall fear and anxiety as much as we possibly can. I would be making sure that the enrichment that's happening at home and the training that's happening at home is extremely fulfilling for this dog because probably we can't be in the car to go on the decompression walks. Now, I would change my mind if you put the dog in the car, the dog really struggled in the car, but after the decompression walk, the dog was okay in the car on the way home. If that were true, I would, I would do it. I would kind of force the issue. If that's not true, if the dog is still quite panicking in the car after the decompression walk, no, it would not be worth it to me. And I would be tackling it from two different standpoints. Number one would be to reduce that overall fear and anxiety with medication and enrichment at home. But number two would be to be working on the car issue itself. Car issues are really tough. I work with them a lot in my private clientele. They are never cut and dried. There, it is never just the, you know, the reason I haven't done a podcast episode on car stuff is because all of it's always very case specific what I would choose to do. But in general, I am not interested in putting the dog through panic in order to try to provide the dog something they need. So if I think the dog needs Nosework class, for instance, but the dog is panicked about going to the nosework building. No way would I do that, right? And the decompression walk is not different. All right, last one comes from Nikki, who writes I would love to hear you discuss intra household peace. What dynamics do you see as the least troublesome? What dynamics are the hardest, especially sex, altered or not, ages and breeds? I heard you once talk about two altered females being tough if they don't get along. I just want to hear more. So Nikki, there's more coming from me on this topic. Um, I have a whole online course on it that has that's kind of a skeleton that doesn't have the meat inside of it yet, (laughs) if that makes sense. So there's more coming from me on this. It's not coming quickly, though, because it is a beast of a project. It is something I'm really passionate about. The dynamics that are troublesome are dogs that are highly who are easily aroused and have big feelings about their reinforcers um, or their resources, if you want to look at it through that lens. So dogs have really big feelings about their food, their toys, their person, their space and dogs that are easily aroused are going to be your toughest dogs. Always same sex pairings are the hardest. So two males or two females are going to have the hardest time. When you have a big group of dogs with multiple sexes involved, you are still gonna have those little dynamics break out that are gonna be difficult. The reason I mentioned that altered females um, are difficult is because we know statistically speaking from some research that's been done that two spayed females are the least likely to get along again after they have established conflict, but two intact females or a mix of spayed or intact are very close behind in the numbers. Basically two females that start fighting are the hardest thing to resolve in, in my opinion, like in all of dog behavior, easier to resolve separation, anxiety, leash reactivity, stranger directed aggression. I mean, you name it, it's easier to resolve than two bitches that are fighting in a home much better to just be on top of it from the beginning. If you have two females, assume they're going to start fighting and act like that from the beginning, have a lot of management around resources from the beginning, do a lot of prevention as far as um, something that I call (laughs) low risk times is what I call it. So we're all hanging out in the living room at night And it's very calm and we know that it's not going to be high arousal in any way. And that's a low risk time. So we're together. Um, Or I put both of the girls in crates next to each other in a car, low risk. And I just, anytime I'm running an errand, I just do that. So they're near each other with low risk happening. So things like that. Like I said, I have a full, I mean, it is a huge, huge beast of amount of information that I have on this. It will come to you in time, be patient. And that's all for this week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash CogDogRadio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.